Well, we are in this series called Believe Practices. We are looking at those core habits that God calls on us to engage in that will deepen our faith and mature our you know, spiritual selves and our whole lives. And we've looked at practices such as things that you would expect, reading your Bible, praying, attending worship services together and worshiping God in our lives. We've looked at the importance of having a singular focus, being single-minded. We've talked about how it's important to surrender our whole selves to God and at the same time to share our faith in Jesus with other people and to use our spiritual gifts to serve other people in love and to serve our world. So many great things we've talked about. These practices are the linkage between what we believe and who we are becoming. Now, I want to be really careful when I talk about these habits because something that happens to all of us, it's either one of two extremes. There are some who look at these practices and believe that they are what makes us a Christian and nothing could be further from the truth. You become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and saying, I'm totally committing myself to you. I'm accepting your forgiveness and your salvation. I then adopted into God's family. To believe that it's your Bible study and your prayer and the number of times you go to church that make you a Christian would be synonymous with like... Um, putting a badge on your chest, putting a uniform on, putting lights on your car, and then going around and arresting people. You can do that, and you may feel like you want to sometimes, but you're an imposter. It doesn't make you a police officer. And doing these things, they are things that Christians should do, but they're not what make you a Christian. So that's one extreme. Now, I don't want you to get the other extreme in your mind either, which a lot of people do, which is, man, if I don't read my Bible enough, if I don't pray enough, if I've missed church, you know, a while, that God is just this close to kicking me out of the family. Like, who are you? And how did you get in here, leave. Neither one of these are how we become a Christian, but these are important. These are how God develops and nurtures our faith. Today, we're going to talk about another habit or practice that Jesus expects us to engage in, and that is in giving our resources. You got one of these? Got the smartphone app? I know that the public Wi-Fi is not working, but you can use a little of that 4G that you pay for. Get your Bible app out or get the analog version. Here's a good argument right now for why you should have a paper version. This thing never has to wait to be downloaded. We're going to look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Such a powerful teaching. He's saying, if you want to know what your spiritual heart looks like, there's a great place to look. Just look at where you spend your money. Pastor Randy Frazee, who developed this whole series, says, hey, if you'll just show me your bank account and you'll show me your credit card statement, I can trace a trail to the condition of your heart and your belief system. Because as Jesus is pointing out, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure also is. Just look where your money and your treasure is. So here's why I would say this. If you've got a worship folder, you can write this down. What you do with your money is ultimately not as much a financial decision or issue. It's, first of all, a heart issue. However you have spent your money already is a great indicator of where your heart and your heart's desires lie. That's just what Jesus says. And uh, your financial, illustra- uh, financial decisions illustrate so much, and there's a lot of clarity there. We might not like what it says about us, but that's actually what you can see to be true. It's, it's illustrating that. And, uh, you know, if, if I were to think about everybody in the room right now, I'm going to ask you to think about this. Everybody, all of us could be divided into one of two categories. And there may be a little bit of blurring there, but every one of us are either spenders or savers, right? Think about this. And you got your money. Anytime money comes into your world, how many of you, just turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, yeah, I'm more of a spender or no, I'm more of a saver. Just tell your person around you, what are you? Yeah. How many of you are the spenders? Right? 
Where's anybody? Okay. How many of you are savers? You, you hold on to that stuff. Yeah. How many of you are in a relationship with the opposite? <laughs> That's always fun. How many of you, like we, we have one of these in our house. How many of you are a hybrid? I'm a saver, but I'm happy to spend someone else's money. That's always a good one, right? You know, spending, saving, spending. There's nothing wrong with either one of those. I don't want you to get the idea that I'm saying one is better than the other. The Bible actually upholds the wisdom of saving for the future, being prudent about how you spend, don't consume more than you bring in. That's awesome. The Bible also says that everything that we have has been given to us by God for our enjoyment. Enjoy it. God created a beautiful place, and he gives us. And both of these are necessary for a fully functioning life. You have to save. You have to spend. Nothing wrong with those. What happens, though? Why do they become a problem for us? It's when we push them out to the extremes, right? When, when you're too much of one or the other. Let's go ahead and talk about the saver for a second. Somebody who's overly... Um, money conscious and holds on to it. What do we call them? Let's, let's call them a miser. They're Silas Marner. They just hold on to everything. They're a hoarder. So this person, there's like too much of that going on. There's all in and never out. But this person over here who's a spender, what happens when you spend too much? Credit score goes down. A materialist, right? This is the person who spends so much because they're looking for an experience or they just they have too much and it's all going out. Now, let's think about those in terms of what Jesus said. When you look at your heart, what's going on in the heart of a miser? What, are, what am I looking for when I'm scared to death to spend anything that I just never feel like there's enough in the retirement account or the savings account or the checking account? This person's looking for security, I'm somehow going to guard against all the what ifs in my life. And this is my, th- and when you ask somebody to do something with that, that you're threatening their security. This is the thing that makes me feel safe. And over here, the person who overspends, man, what are they seeking? You know, there may be a status. Look how important I am. I have arrived. You know, maybe I came from a humble beginnings, but look how far I've come. Do you see the car I'm driving? Do you see the house I live in? Did you see what my countertops are made of? Do you, you know, do you see where my kids go to school? Yeah, I paid $100,000 to get them in. They shouldn't have been there, but uh, yes, status, maybe a little bit of satisfaction. You like the things that money can buy too much and you're seeking, you just see my Instagram account. Did you see where we went on vacation? Are you jealous yet? So two extremes, and the problem with both of those, as you can see, is at the center of your heart is money, and you are looking to money to provide your security, and you are looking to money to provide your status, and this will not work. Back to Jesus, Matthew 6, let's go down to verse 24. Jesus said, here's why that's not going to work. You can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And when we put money at the center of our lives, it just will not work. You can't serve both masters. Jesus says there's only one room for one master in your heart. And if it's not God, you're going to be in a mess. One will overshadow the other. So my question would be, what happens in the heart of a person who really does think that money can provide security and satisfaction and status? We actually have some research from secular studies that tell us this. Paul Piff is a professor, has a lot of alliteration. Professor Paul Piff, (laughs) love that. 
It's a professor out in California, and he gave a TED talk based on some of his research about how does having more and more money affect a person? What does it do? And he used a very common game you've played before. He used Monopoly and brought people in and had them play Monopoly and then videoed them. They didn't know they were being recorded as they played. And in the experiment, he actually rigged the game. Two players, one of them was advantaged. They were given more money at the outset of the game. They were also allowed to get more money every time they crossed go. They got $400. And both players knew that one of them was advantaged, and yet, as the game went on, the one who had the advantage acted as though they deserved everything that they were getting in this game. And so, in his words, he says, as the game unfolded, we saw some very dramatic differences emerge. The rich players started to move around the board more loudly. They would pound their play piece on the board as they went around. I thought that's just what you're supposed to do. <laughs> he said, we were more likely to see and displays of power among rich players. Rich players actually became ruder as the game went on to, and less sensitive to the feelings of the people around them, more demonstrative of their material success. The rich players would say things like, I've got money for everything. I'm pretty much running this game now. I'm pretty much going to shut you down, and, and I'm, I'm untouchable at this point. I didn't know they were videoing my family when I was playing Monopoly. I would have been a little nicer. <laughs> My brother-in-law says Monopoly reveals your true character. I just think he's a sore loser. <laughs> so Dr. Piff said what we've been finding is in real life as a person's wealth, not just Monopoly, in real life when a person's level of wealth increases, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down. Not saying that's everybody, but overall that's true. Their feelings of entitlement and self-interest increase. You can probably think of some examples in other people's lives. It's harder to see in ourselves, but you've definitely been on the other side of that, and you know how obnoxious it looks and how it feels. And I will tell you, we are all broken people, so none of us are immune to doing this. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I'm saying that all of us, we do this on one extreme or the other. And uh, sometimes you think about this, the worst thing that could happen to someone is to have a whole lot of money drop into their lap, right? Remember the, the Powerball curse? Jack Whitaker, one of the first people to win that thing, he won $314 million. He was already a millionaire before he won, and by the end of it, his life was a mess. He'd lost all of it, including his wealth that he had before he won the Powerball. He lost it to gambling, and people stole it, and prostitutes, and he had a beloved granddaughter that he would give extra money to, and she got into drugs, and she actually died of a drug overdose. At the end of it all, Jack Whitaker said, I wish that I had just ripped that ticket up as soon as I got it. Because what happens when God is not at the center of your heart, and money is, and you get more money, it's just going to make everything worse. It doesn't make things better. Now, God is doing something through Jesus' teaching. He's inviting us to take money out of the center of our lives and our heart and put God there instead. So now I'm going to look to God. If, I'm tend, if I tend by nature to be a saver, I'm going to look to God for my security. I'm still going to save, but I'm no longer going to assume that this is the only thing that stands between me and utter devastation for my family. And if God is at the center of my life, I'm still going to enjoy what I have, but I'm not going to assume that what I have is what makes me who I am, and it's not the thing that everybody admires me for. It's not the only place that I find satisfaction in my heart, because God's there now. And uh, this completely changes, I'm telling you, it completely changes us when we learn to put God at the center and move money out of the way. 
And this ties back to what we were actually talking about in the first section of this belief series in the spring. We were talking about what are those beliefs that Christians hold. Week one, some of you will remember this if you were around at that time. I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If that's true, then that means I'm not God, which is actually a relief. I don't have to count on myself to, to take care of myself. And we go on to week number two, and we talked about how that, uh, that God is involved in my life, and he cares about the things that are going on in my daily life. Again, it didn't slip by God that I'm going to need to go to the grocery store again. It didn't slip by God that I'm gonna eventually going to have to retire, and I'm not going to be able to work. God knows all these things. And then there was another week we talked about, you know, I believe that a person comes into a right relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ, and it's a gift of grace from God. We don't earn it. And, uh, you know, it's, again, God doesn't always treat us as we deserve. Thank the Lord. And you think about this, God is good, and he can be trusted. And you don't have to rely on yourself. And the materialists, we, what we believe about the world matters too. We talked about during that belief series, I'm significant because of my position as a child of God. It has nothing to do with how many things you've accomplished or how much you have earned or where you've been able to, to go in your life. It really does come from the fact that God has looked at you and said, I want you in my family. I want to adopt you as my child. And that's what gives us significance. And here, we, we, we didn't really talk about this on Sunday morning, but if you're in a group, we did talk about the idea of stewardship, that everything that I have is not mine. It ultimately belongs to God, and I am here to take care of it as a steward or a manager. It's his stuff. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe those things at the foundation of your heart, nothing I say about being generous with what God has put into your life will matter because you just aren't going to believe it in your heart. So let's talk about this habit of giving a little bit more. What does it do for you? Again, if you've got your worship folder, one thing I would just learn from the scripture is that giving our resources helps us put God first in our lives. The act of giving, no matter what level you start at, the fact that you are willing to give away something that you're either saving or spending for yourself, when you do that, it moves God toward the center of your heart. This is a fantastic thing. So maybe you've heard of... Uh, NBA Hall of Fame coach Pat Riley. Some of you may have heard of him. He talks about all the championship teams, not even just in basketball, just across the sports. How many teams will go to the championship and then not repeat? And he has a theory about why that is. He calls it the disease of more. And we may not want to hear this with teams in St. Louis that we want to repeat, but this is sometimes what happens with these sport teams. The, the thing that got them to the championship was they wanted more winning, and that's a good thing as a team. And so they did all the hard work that it took, and they played so well together. But once they win, what happens? Now they want more of something else. Now they want more endorsements. They want more commercials. They want more play time. They want more, you know, face time with the media. They want more attention on themselves. And that tight-knit unit starts to fray as the egos get involved and Gatorade bottles get thrown and everybody's just talking about their... And he, feels, he says that players often feel justified in not doing the little things anymore. We're a championship team. I don't have to do all the drills and I don't have to do all the runs. But... Those little things and the attention to those little details and the ability to work hard and to be selfless in your play was the thing that got you to the championship in the beginning. And that's the thing as greed takes the place of that cohesion that tears a team apart. 
And you think about that for us is what we're talking about. The more we get, because we are broken people, the more entitled we feel to that stuff, and the more that we feel like that should have just come my way, and we stop realizing that it really came from God. And that's how God slowly leaves the center of our lives. Randy Frazee says, if you choose to put money in your heart, you will ask God to serve your desire to have more, and he will not comply. You put God at the center of your heart, and you ask your money to serve God, that works. It really does. So that's what we're talking about. When you give your resources, it helps you put God first in your life. And I, this is a question that I will not answer for you. You have to answer this honestly for yourself. And there is no penalty to you just being very honest with yourself right now and saying, okay, well, what really is at the center of my life right now? I'd suggest that sometime today after lunch, you just get quiet and think about that for a little bit and ask God and invite him to show you some things that maybe have been hard for you to see. What is at the center right now? And again, this is not a hard question to answer. You literally can look at where you have spent your money over the past whatever, and that's a good tip-off. Have you been generous to other people? Have you been generous toward God? Has it all been about you? This, now, there's good news. You know when Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be? That's not just descriptive. It does, it's not like you can just analyze, okay, this is where my heart is, obviously. It's not a great answer, but it is what it is. It's also prescriptive. If you don't like where your heart is right now, if you put your money in a new direction, your heart will follow it. That's great news. Wherever you put your money towards, if you put your money towards God, your heart will just naturally follow. Generosity is what keeps your heart moving towards God, and generosity is what makes you put God at the center of your heart, because where your money goes, there your heart will be. Think about this. Just give you an example. If down in Haiti, we have a partnership with the Living Water Christian Mission. We're sending a group there in September. It's, uh, we've been made friends with a group of people in, in the village called Highland. But let's say that you were to go out to the missions table after service today and adopt one of the, adopt, you, they're not going to come to your house. You adopt a child for $30 a month, I think it is, that you will get to help send them to school, make sure that they get their materials, they get a meal every day. What a great thing. Do you not think if you've been sending $30 a month to Haiti for a while that your heart might not be a little bit softer towards Haiti? Don't you think you're going to watch the news for, you know, news of civil unrest? Are you not going to pray for them a little bit more? Because there's a kid, a real kid there that you're supporting. Are you not going to watch the hurricane forecasts a little bit more closely? Because where your money is, your heart will be there. That's just one of the benefits of practicing generosity. It moves your heart. Here's something else. I want you to write this down. I want you to think about this. Generosity can teach you that God can be trusted. It's one thing to say you trust God, but if you never do anything that puts you out there in a little bit of a risky place, then you don't really know if you trust him or not. To take some of your money that you had other plans for and give it to God and trust that you're still going to be okay, that's a hard thing. You're going to be fine. I've been doing this for a long time. I have no qualms whatsoever telling you you're going to be fine, but it's still scary every time you do it or do it for the first time. Let me tell you a true story. My friend Matt works for the Missouri State Highway Patrol all week, and he says it funds his ministry because he preaches in a church every weekend in his church. And in his church, they've done a really good job of reaching people who are kind of far from God. 
And one guy in particular, Matt said, I really have to be careful because he takes everything I say so seriously because he's lived his whole life so far from God that he's trying to make up for lost time. So he said, one Sunday I was preaching on, I don't remember what scripture, but he was talking about generosity. And he said, this guy was just so tuned into what I was saying. And it's like, I didn't realize how tuned in he was until the next week. This guy came to me and told me what was going on that week. He said, Matt, you were talking about how just give it all to God. And I said, yeah. So I took my wallet out and I put everything that was in my wallet in the offering. Matt must have got a look on his face because the guy goes, no, 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 it's okay. Let me tell you what happened. This has been an awesome week. He said, you said do it, and I did it, and I was like, okay, I paid all my groceries already. I paid all my bills. It's okay. I can do this. I was halfway out to my truck when it hit me. Shoot, you haven't bought your smoke yet for the week. And he said, and he didn't say shoot. I'm editing. Again, new, new Christian, kind of rough, but... <laughs> He said, I literally thought, I'm going to have to go back into church and ask you guys for my offering back because there's no way I can go a week without cigarettes. But I thought, no, Matt said God will provide. I'm going to, I guess I'm just going to be going without cigarettes for a week. It's going to be okay. And he said, but I got in the truck and I said, God, you see what I did? He said he tipped the visor down and a pack of smokes fell out in his lap. He went, whoa, I forgot that was there. And he, then he started thinking. He checked the glove box and there's a half a carton in there. I said, okay, the Lord has provided. The theology of this aside, all week things happened to him that convinced him that the Lord knew that he needed his cigarettes like I need my Diet Mountain Dew and you need your coffee. It's, we all got our things. He was at a gas station. He was at QT and he's pumping gas. And a woman over at the next pump said, do you smoke? He's like, well, not this week. <laughs> She's, well, I'm, I'm giving up smoking and I can't handle the temptation. Do you want the rest of my, my smokes? He's, Okay, and, and he was at work, and his boss said, you know, just out of the blue, you've been doing such a great job. I just wanted to kind of say thank you, and he gave him a couple of cartons of smokes. Like all, so this is what this guy's telling my friend Matt the next week, and he said, you know, I didn't really know if this would work, but God has provided for everything I needed. You have a true, legitimate Christian brother somewhere out there in Missouri right now who believes that the Lord provided his cigarettes all week, and you do with that what you want, but he gave it all, and God did provide for him, and that's what I'm telling you. I don't care what it is in your life. God can be trusted to provide for you. True story. Let me tell you another true story. This is out of the Bible. This happened 2,000 years ago. This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So just picture this. The Apostle Paul wrote this, first of all, as a letter to the church in Corinth. A bunch of Christians there. What he's doing here at this part of the letter is reminding them that they'd agreed to take up a special offering for the Christians in Jerusalem, and they hadn't done it yet. So this, and he's like prodding them. Come on, you guys said you're going to do this. Let's do this. So verse 1, I want, to, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches up in Macedonia. And he's like going to go like, you guys going to, they did better than you. That's what's going on here. So verse 2, he says, they're being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they also are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify. They gave, you haven't, but they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give of themselves to the Lord and to us, just as we wanted them to do. Just think about that. The Christians in Corinth, by and large, were wealthy. And Paul says, you know what? The Christians who are dirt poor up in Macedonia have done better than you guys. 
you can do this. And it's, it's, I think about this, and I think about how several years ago when we were still meeting in the movie theater, there were some Christians down in Haiti that found out we were meeting in a movie theater. We didn't even have a building of our own. They felt so sorry for us. They started praying for us to get a building. And I thought, that's fantastic. So there's people in Haiti. We're here right now because people cared about that. And it's kind of a similar situation here where there's other Christians who never met the Christians in Jerusalem, but they cared about them. And they were concerned for them. And they sent this offering. And uh, they gave, and it, Paul said, like, they gave more than they were able. They gave because they knew that God could be trusted. And, you know, something else I think about here is that you might look at your financial situation and go, well, <laughs> the Macedonians, I'm in a great deal of trouble financially right now. Or, you know, I'm maybe not now, I'm okay now, but I can see where things are going. And I'm a little nervous about that. Do you think God doesn't pay attention to what's going on in your life? Or does he? Can he be trusted or not? And I want you to notice too, when Paul pointed this out, there was no arm twisting. There's nothing like, come on, you know, they, there was no Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. They just gave, and they begged to give. It was, it was just so inspiring. And my challenge to you is to, to it's kind of like what Paul said in verse 7. He said, since you guys excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. Connection, I want us to be gracious givers. If God's been good to you, and if you want God to be at the center of your life, this is an opportunity here in our church service every Sunday to do this. This is not the only opportunity that you have to be generous, but it is one of the times that you can do that. That's why we share an offering together. Offering is not just a place where we do our announcements. and It is actually an opportunity for us to worship God, to put him at the center of our lives. I want you to know if you um, do currently give here at Connection or you're thinking about it, that our leadership handles money with the highest integrity. There's audits every year. There is oversight at every level at the smallest detail. I'm not looking for something from you. If you're newer and like, oh man, this is why I don't go to church. <laughs> it's not like that here. My, off, my, uh, my salary is not contingent on your offering. I'm not looking for anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to know what it's like to truly know that God can care for you. So here's my challenge for you, because we're going to take up an offering in just a moment. I'm going to pray and we'll do the offering time that we didn't do earlier in the service. My challenge to you is do something generous today. Some of you are thinking, well, okay, I'm already ready. I'm here. I've got my offering. Or I gave online. Okay, for those of you who've already given online or you already have your check written out or whatever, my challenge to you would be do something more than what you had planned to do today. Something that really puts you out there in a place where you are going generously above and beyond what you thought you would do but I don't want you to do it because you think like God or me or somebody's going to be disappointed with you. Let's just do it because you want to put God at the center of your life. So let me give you a few ideas. If you are kind of newer to this thing, trust me on this. Think of what you made this week in a paycheck and put a tithe of that, 10% in the offering. You're like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I can't tell you how many stories I've had of people who've done that and it's been fine. You're going to be okay. And uh, if it's not, come talk to me and I'll make it up to you. Just tell me the truth. <laughs> but, um, you'll be fine. You know, maybe for you, it would just be, okay, how much do I have in my wallet? How much do I have in my pocket? I'm going to be like Matt's friend. I'm going to dump it all in the offering today. You can do that. You see, I want everybody to look over in the second, over in the corner, there's a table over there. You probably see it on your way out every Sunday. This is a place where you can practice generosity. You can leave food there for Operation Backpack, which will go to children at Crossroads Elementary, or Hope Food Pantry. Maybe you want to leave today, go to Schnooks, get some stuff, and come back and leave some food over there. 
Maybe there's something in your car. You can clean out the change thing. I don't know. Just think about it. Maybe start now, because I'm going to pray in a second. Maybe you pray to God. God, what can I do today that could just be an expression of generosity to tell you that I love you more than my stuff? I want you to know this, too. Uh, if you're a person who you like, I just don't carry cash. I'm happy to do something, but I've only got a card. Uh, we have the ability back there, too, to help you get signed up, and you can use your debit card or credit card, whatever, and you can give that way, too. So after service is over, or even during the offering time, if you want to, you can go back there, and there's some people back there who will help you do that. My challenge to you is, you know, every week I try to ask you to do something with the message and the teaching of the Scripture. Today, my challenge to you is do something generous. It's between you and God, but whatever you can do to move God to the center I'm going to pray, and then i got one more word for you. Father, thank you for how generous you've been with us. We love you. We love what you've done for us. I just ask that you would help us to put you at the center of our lives in a very real way today with what you've given us, that we will recognize that everything that we have, first of all, came from you, including our salvation. I pray that this would be a place where the love comes in from you and it goes out as well, that we are a church that's known for our compassion and our generosity. And Father, if this is a thing that people are struggling with, that you would just give them courage, that they would realize that, that you have just overwhelmed us with goodness. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Randy Frazee knows of a church where whenever...